Welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson. And today uh, we have a great guest uh, from the East Coast, from Uh the Jersey area, a brand new friend of mine, Angel Kiros. (laughs) Uh, He is uh, the the host of his own podcast by his name, Angel Kiros Podcast. Um, How are you doing, sir? Doing amazing. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm a little chilly because Colorado <laughs> weather just keeps changing on me. <laughs> I, I got to say, I love the view in Colorado, but that I am not jealous of. <laughs> well, amen to that. <laughs> well, at least in Jersey, you get distinct seasons, you know, you, get, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall. <laughs> Very much. Yes, we feel them all radically. <laughs> awesome. You know, being from the, the Philadelphia area originally, um, you know, Philadelphia and Jersey are kind of yeah, so connected. Camden is like a part of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So uh, definitely well acquainted with Jersey, family out there in Jersey, uh, Bridgeton, New Jersey and um, areas like that. So I'm um, glad cool. to have you on. I'm glad you, you joined us today. Um, tell our view- viewers just a little bit, uh, our listeners, a little bit about who you are um, as a person. Sure. Well, I'm honored to be here. First of all, uh, thank you for having me on. I am. My name is Angel Kiros. I was born and raised in uh, in New Jersey, all or, all around really, Patterson, Hawthorne, pretty much northern Jersey. Uh, I became a Christian at 22 years old, and I gave my life to Christ in a slightly Pentecostal kind of charismatic leaning church, and that was just kind of the beginning of my spiritual walk, which throughout my 20s, kind of led me to explore all sorts of, all areas of theology, whether that be reformed or it be really extremely, you know, new, new apostolic reform and, and all these kind of different sects. But really, I've kind of landed in trying to be um, just kind of cons- as consistent as I can with the Christian worldview. And um, that kind of led me into politics a little bit where, you know, I decided to kind of start my own podcast talking about the intersections of faith and politics, Christianity specifically, and conservatism specifically. And it's just been kind of an exploration there to talk to people who are um, very politically minded and see what they have to offer, but also spiritual leaders and pastors and see what they have to offer to this conversation. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I mean, personally, I like, you know, playing guitar, I like music and stuff like that. I'm not married. You know, and um, I'm just here living in New Jersey. Awesome. Awesome. So you're a musician. I'm a musician <laughs> as well. Um, I play the keyboards and uh, sing a little bit. And uh, oh, we're going to have enjoy to jam. Worship. Yeah, man. Enjoy worship, man. It's an awesome, awesome thing there. That so, was definitely one of the big pulls for me into into the church was, you know, music. Well, a guitar, you know, that 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 a lot of music, a lot of worship music comes off of that guitar you know and so I, I i bet you know there's some times where you just can sit and hop on the guitar and just you know play your way into the presence of the lord oh yeah <laughs> that's pretty much all of my 20s <laughs> <laughs> amen so so angel your podcast um how what inspired it what got it going what what you you said you got into podcasting but what really inspired you to do it uh so my background professionally is digital marketing so i do a lot of videography i went to school for graphic design 
Um, I'm, a, I'm a designer by trade. So the natural extension from when I graduated college was uh, social media started coming into effect and video was now the most important. So I had to kind of pivot my way into that. Uh, the reason that I got into podcasting for me specifically, instead of doing it for my clients, was because po uh, politics became such a part of pop culture in the last eight years. And I wanted to do something to not only reach people with the gospel, but to also speak to issues that were important in the world. And it seemed like politics was the vehicle to do that. So uh, the more I started learning about things, the more I guess my opinions changed because of my faith, the more investigation I did into which political ideas do I really agree with. And that led me to a kind of a, a catalyst moment with the whole George Floyd thing that happened. Um, I just started posting a video and I was just like, you know, let me tell people what I think about this thing as a Christian, you know, and also maybe as a minority, as a Latino. And uh, that that just kind of took off. You know, I think I got 30,000 views in, in like under a week, which was was crazy to me. You know, I never had something like that happen. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I never thought I would. So when that happened, I was like, OK, maybe maybe God has told me to kind of dig into this a little more. So I started making content that was kind of biblically centered, but also had a, a, a political leaning and people really liked that idea. So that just got me even deeper into the process to now I sit on the board of the New York and Republicans. I'm their design chairman. And I've just been I've just been kind of exploring this area as well. Amen. Well, I'm I'm glad that you, you, you took a step and launched out um, because the body body of Christ is better for it. Um, having voices, you know, this, this podcast thing, um, started out very obscure yes. <laughs> and not a lot of people doing it. Um, uh, but now it has become a, a great outlet to, um, just sound the alarm, to inform, um, to equip, uh, and just to help people see, uh, what's happening on the ground. A lot of podcasters are everyday people next door, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and we have a heart to inform. We have a heart to, you know, open people's eyes to things. And I just love what you're doing. Um, Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Um, I love what you do and, and just how you talk about how Christianity and politics intersect and yes. how they can um, th th sometimes uh, if we are too extreme. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you did a podcast about uh, the myth, right, of leftism. Right. Right. And, uh, like what, you know, when it comes down to this political thing, you know, these extremes, right, create uh, language. People create language to define who they are. But yes. sometimes that language is not accurate. <laughs> yeah, very and, much true and, and they're saying something that you're like but that's not what that means right? exactly exactly you know so like just just bro broach that subject a little bit what do you what you meant by the myth of leftism <laughs> sure well i think the discussion kind of begins when it comes to leftism um with the way you would study the bible right the way you would study scripture you wouldn't really study scripture by reading a passage and then kind of developing your own understanding of what it means and interpreting it yourself, right? You would look into what the writers actually meant when they were writing these things. And right. I think 
the same thing goes for political literature or history books. You know, you have to look at the context behind things and you have to look at what the writer or what the person who lived that story actually meant. So what's happening now, in my opinion, with leftism is that there's a uh, redefinition of words that's happening. I mean, we can look at the simplest subject like gender. Um, there's a redefinition of what it means to be male and what it means to be female and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Now those are four different things. When in reality, male and female just meant man and woman. Um, so the, the myths of leftism for me are, are more so about there go ahead okay yeah the the myths of leftism are more so about what they're trying to say versus what they're actually saying so that the the gender the gender ideology is a prime example when somebody says they are a cisgendered male what they mean to say is that they're a man (laughs) and uh the reworking of those those kind of word the the way things are worded has become a problem when it comes to communicating with people on the other side of the aisle because now we're operating out of two separate definitions. So I really like to explore that idea politically because it doesn't leave much room for for uh, agreement or compromise or understanding because we're working on two fundamentally different sets of, of uh, definitions. Yeah. Um, I used to have that problem when people would talk about pro-choice right versus mm. pro-life and you're stuck right as, as as a christian because politically you know it, by definition you know political definition you should be pro-life because you're a christian right um, but is that are we talking about the same thing because at the end of the end of the day reading the bible i'm saying well, well people have free will my, you know, God said to choose life, but he still gives people the right to make a choice. Right. And my prayer is that they make their choice in line with God. But can right. I legislate their behavior? And then you know, <laughs> so it, it gets confusing because you're like, politically, it's saying this. But when I read the word, how do I, you know, balance that? And I know you've had that discussion. <laughs> big time. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest discussions, I think, for Christian conservatism is, you know, the pro-life, pro-choice uh, debate. Uh, for me, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the terms pro-life and pro-choice don't really say what they, what they mean, right? The, the idea of being pro-choice right. means you have the choice of uh, abortion or keeping, keeping the child when the idea of pro-life is essentially legislating morality, right? It's like, you're not allowed to have that choice. So for me, politically speaking, since I'm more of a social conservative, I'm not necessarily like just the financial conservative, economic conservative, uh, fiscally conservative, what they call it. Um, I like to think that all laws are pretty much legislated by morals, right? You're not allowed to kill somebody because it's the wrong thing to do. Of course, there's punishments for it, but we don't allow it because it's a detriment to society. It's going to hurt our society as a whole. So the way I look at scripture and the way I look at Christianity, it's, it's not necessarily on a collective level. It's individual, right? A salvation is individual. Um, our walk with God is an individual, intimate walk with God. But when you're talking about politics, you have to kind of talk on a societal level and a collective level. And to me, it would be better for society if abortion wasn't, um, wasn't necessarily as accessible or allowed or 
paid for by our taxpayers who don't agree with it. You know, so I think I think there's a lot of different areas within that one topic that we, we should have the discussion of. But I don't think it's as, as simple as saying pro-life people don't necessarily. One of the things that and I agree with you 100 percent is that, you know, there are certain things that are better. Right. Morally right. for society. But at the same time, from a Christian worldview, as a Christian, my thought shouldn't be to legislate good behavior. My thought should be to save souls, right? To, to bring people into right relationship with the Lord and he do the work on their heart rather right. than we just legislate these rules. Because at the end of the day, um, I have an atheist friend that his biggest knock on Christianity, is that he says, is, you guys do what's right because you're afraid of going to hell. Mm. Right? And so, and my re- response to him is that, no, I do what's right because I love God. Right. I mean, going to hell is not even a thought to me. Right. My thought is that I love the Lord and I want to please him um, because of his love for me and my love for him. But from uh, this political point of view, you know, a lot of things are put in because if you break this rule, this is going to happen to you. And so we want to push this side or that side. It's almost like you have to take a side. And if you don't take a side, then you're not a good Christian, you right, know? Right. And so what do we do about this, 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 this pull to be left or right? Or, you know, how do we stay faithful to what we believe um, and be able to say, I'm a Christian, whether, and I can disagree with the left and I can disagree with the right and mm-hmm. still be a Christian. Well, I think, I think one of the things that uh, has helped me even recently as I've started diving deeper and having more conversations like this, where people are kind of challenging me on kind of the status quo of conservatism. Um, there's a quote by uh, a Christian rapper named Propaganda. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yes, I have. Yes, I yeah. have. So he says, hold your faith tightly and your theology loosely. Right. So kind of saying, like, always be willing to expand or or revisit different theological ideas, but make sure the, the essentials are still there. Right. Make sure the salvation issues are still taken care of and you still believe those wholeheartedly. Um, for me, when it comes to the idea of, of pro-choice and, and when when we're talking about uh, you mentioned a point that I wanted to touch on, I can't uh, slip my mind. Um, anyway, anyway. Um, the idea that we as Christians should be picking one side or another, it kind of doesn't account for all the nuance that goes on in that conversation, right? Like, um, in my opinion, as a Christian who is involved in politics, one of my main concerns is making sure that the values of Christianity are represented within the political world. So I don't necessarily think that legislating morality is a bad thing. Because we as Christians know what God wants for us in order to lead ultimately fulfilling lives. We know he wants marriage. We know he doesn't want sex within marriage. That doesn't mean we outlaw sex outside of marriage, but maybe we de-incentivize it. You know, so instead of saying like, you know, free love is completely good. And if you have, if you have a child out of wedlock, then that's fine. And you'll get more tax money. Maybe we should de-incentivize it by incentivizing marriage. Well, if you're married and you have a child within wedlock, you get a tax cut. You know, something like that, that will help structure our society in a way that helps us lead better and wholesome lives, right? According to not necessarily Christianity, 
but the Judeo-Christian worldviews and ethics that come along with it. Because that's essentially what the country was always aspiring to get to a better place. We were never perfect, and there's been horrible things that this country has done. But at the same time, just leaving, having that as an ideal, as a goal, saying we want to move towards that, I think is important. I don't know if that, if that uh, answers the question. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that 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 digs into the question because um, I think at the end of the day, it is a difficult um, question to first of all ask because figuring out how to ask the question, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then second of all, then answering a question because it is not you know one of my friends that uh, I interviewed some months back, he talked about the difference between preaching a sermon and counseling someone and in preaching in preaching a sermon i take a text in context and i explain what's there yes. but when i'm counseling someone the context is their life and so right. i have to exegete their life <laughs> in order to then go and find out what the word of god says and see if the context matches up with what their context is and then apply it well, you, you bring up an interesting point. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jump oh, in no. I'm, yeah. No, you bring up an interesting point because that's kind of uh, taken that to its furthest extreme where it's like not only the context of one person's life, but an entire country's and life. That's, yes. Yeah, that's that's the hard part of politics. Right. It's very easy to say you can be on one side or the other, but then to account for an entire country's individual lives and how they how they. Yeah. So people take positions willy-nilly it it's it's almost disingenuous because there are so many factors to to bring into the picture the context of individual people's lives and the context of people groups and and demographics and then uh, you know lastly and i guess most importantly politically the context of the national culture and the national society right so right i'm sorry go ahead Right. And that, but that's yeah, that that's definitely the point that, that I believe uh, that that friend of mine was making is that when you're dealing with people, it is not neat. It is not um, a, a straightforward. It's not cut and dry. There are factors and variables that you have to take an account for. And like you said, in politics, now they'll multiply those factors and variables by millions. Right. right. You know, because there's a national story. That has to be exegeted, right? Absolutely. When you come into America and you look at the context of America and that America is a melting pot, but also America was built on things like slavery and, you know, but yet we say freedom, but, but yet we say, you know, all men are equal, and, but yet there's all these things, racism, and it's like all these things are, are just thrown into this pot. And right. then you're trying to make laws and de define what justice is in this kind of tumultuous <laughs> gumbo of things. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. There, there's a lot there because I mean, the idea of, of uh, freedom and liberty and all these things are ideals, right? They're ideas, yeah. they're, they're concepts. And so I think the best that, that we can do politically is to aim for those things and then strive for those things, but it's never ultimately going to be reached. You know, when politically speaking, you call this the idea of utopia, right? Which is kind of a, a, for lack of a better term, a leftist idea that we can eventually get to this perfect world 
where nobody's offended. There's no such thing as racism. Nobody's, but we know as Christians that that's not possible. The only way that's possible is through Jesus in heaven or when he comes back. And, and so we, we have this understanding as Christians that we're all flawed. You know, the, you know, the, the idea of depravity is, is an essential part of Christianity. The only one good is Christ. The only one that's good is, is father God or God, the son, uh, God, the Holy spirit. But, when we're dealing with politics, there's almost this push for nothing, nothing ever, nothing will ever get us into that utopian place. So we have to decide, okay, what's going to get us just that much closer? What's going to be able to benefit us as a society? Because uh, an individual case, like we were talking about, doesn't ne isn't necessarily reflective of society, isn't necessarily reflective of everybody as a whole. So that that's why these things are so complicated because you do see these things highlighted in in the media you see you know the george floyd trial and you see um uh you know all all of these uh pretty much horrific events happening right in front of our eyes but they're not necessarily reflective of our entire society which i think is a broader problem of the way we message and the way that we we deliver news to to our country then it becomes something of where we're living out of a place of fear as opposed to living out of a place of understanding that us as humans are all flawed and we have to do our best to fix the flaws and strive to be like Christ. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking back um, to the election and me and my family sitting at, 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 at home uh, watching the debates and then, you know, the ensuing weeks um up into the point of of uh january when you know everything was settled um there was a a group uh, of christians you know um just set on this is what god is saying about the election yes and <laughs> it created such such division such um turmoil and it actually emboldened you know, um, people who oppose Christianity, right? Um, they were like, wow, this is great. I love to see these guys attacking each other and speaking out these prophetic words that are wrong. And, you yeah. know, these guys are right. These guys are wrong. Y what I know on your show, you probably dealt with it a lot in uh, yeah. conversations with people a lot. What is your take on just because, again, it's the same thing. You're being forced to take a side. Right. And now a person is saying, God said that this is the <laughs> side you're supposed to take. What do we it, do with that? It's interesting because uh, this is where I kind of start to fall into the camp of I refuse to take sides. You know, and, and I start to talk about I've talked about it a lot of my podcast and I've posted about it for what that's worth on Instagram. Um, I'm a Christian before I'm a conservative. So when there's conservatives or or. I guess you could say conservative Christians declaring these things on behalf of the Lord, like constantly bringing up the Kim Clement prophecies and people like, you know, and I'll say the name here, but Marcus Rogers and stuff advocating openly saying that I believe that God told, not even, I believe thus saith the Lord, yeah, you know, yeah. Trump will be president again. I have to say, if they are declared wrong, they need to fall on their knees in repentance. They need to apologize, and they need to understand that their gift, their their gifting, may not be what they think it is, or what they think that God told them it was. You know, I think we've we've made light of the the gift of prophecy in America, and we've kind of taken it as this kind of malleable thing where it's like, I feel like today is a new day for you. <laughs> you know, it's like super, right, right. super vague things like that. 
And I think we just have to be a lot more careful as, as the church at large of saying that this person is prophetic as opposed to, you know, speaking a word into the future, kind of uh, encouraging somebody, right? There's a big difference between encouraging somebody into a better life and then saying, thus saith the Lord, this will happen because God is good. You know, it's just not a theologically right. sound way to do things. And the way I've dealt with that for myself, because most of the people doing that, obviously, were on the right, on the right side of politics, is, is I've kind of said, like, the minute that the minute that these these influencers and, and I guess you could call them like Internet preachers start to go off the deep end theologically, um, they lost me. Like, right. You, they're they're not they're not on my list of people that I can listen to anymore. And it's not that I'm canceling them or it's not that I'm coming after them and doxing them or anything, but it's it's more so your credibility is shot as a minister of the gospel because you are you are saying things that obviously didn't come to pass. You know, there's arguments out there for people on the right side that are like, okay, well maybe maybe it's two terms, but it's not two consecutive terms. And there's all these little like workarounds. <laughs> and I'm just like at this point is delusion. At this point you're falling victim to this hyper charismania. Now mind you, I'm I'm charismatic, but in the words of Ruslan, uh, I'm charismatic with a seatbelt. With a seatbelt. You know? Come on. <laughs> so I when it starts to get into these crazy crazy categories and all these these weird depths of spirituality that's when i have to sit back and say are are we really um are we really looking at the same objective reality you know we're not in we're not of this world but we are in this world and and i think the phrase is uh you know you can't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good you know so i i look at people like that in that in that kind of light like you really have to take a step back and really just assess what's actually going on and what you can actually see and draw a conclusion from there. You know, I understand heavenly revelation. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with most of it, but I understand why people why people find it so appealing, and that really needs to be checked. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I did a, a podcast some time back, um, and I wrote in a book um, the difference between divination and revelation, and Ooh. how you know our our church culture has slid over into divination. And no longer functioning in, in, in revelation. And like you said, we That's have good. to define, you know, what are we saying when we say prophecy? Because, you know, scripture has already given us a, what God has intended for our future. Right. Now, it, encouragement, you know, there, there's, you know, one of my favorite passages is where uh, Judas and Silas encourage the believers, right? Yes. Exhort them, you know, and they were prophets and they exhorted the people you know, to obey the word of God, to be encouraged. Um, that That's a form of prophecy in the sense of encouragement, but not like you said this, you know, just because I feel this, I want to, you know, I want to tell you, thus saith the Lord. A big problem in the charismatic world is this idea of instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, they'll have little workarounds like, uh, uh, I just feel I just feel like God is telling me to say, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and right. there's all these little uh, I, instead I of just encouraging the person, just encourage them. Just, right. If you feel like encouraging somebody, encourage them. But we feel like there's more weight when we say, thus say if the Lord or the Lord is saying or I believe or I think the Lord is saying, you right. know, hey, I can we can go right to the word of God and I can give you what the Lord is saying. Yeah, <laughs> I can exactly. give you exactly what the Lord is saying. And, and I'm not against, like you said, gifts of the spirit. I do right. believe that there are things in my in my life that were spoken 
by the Lord that have come to pass and uh, I'm doing those things. And, you know, however that came about, it was said and it did come to pass. So you, you know? don't consider yourself a cessationist? No, no, not not at all. And okay. when people say con, uh, continuous, I, I, I am... My, I have an issue with these systems, right? Yes. That a person is a cessationist, a continuous, a Calvinist, a this, a that. Mm-hmm. How about we just read the Bible <laughs> and <laughs> say what it says? You Absolutely. know, even Calvinism didn't come from Calvin. <laughs> right. you know, so, so we're all I'm a we're wearing this badge of Calvinism, but, but Calvin wasn't a Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think that there's a little bit of pressure within the church to also kind of fit yourself into an ideological or theological box as well, and and that's yeah. kind of pressure that I've been feeling lately a little bit. You know, um, just just in general, with the more the more Christians start watching my channel, the more you know they're they're trying to correct my theology and things like that, and I understand it. They're coming from a great place. I understand the motivation, but it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a little pressure. It It is. It is. And, the, and like you said, the more, especially in the podcasting, YouTubing, influencing world, the farther you get out there, the more people want to know, well, what are, like you said about the, the, the political uh, uh, definitions, are you left? Are you right? Are you conservative? Are you this? It's like, okay, how about <laughs> I say that I'm a follower of Christ and right. I study the word of God. And if I come across this in the word of God and the word of God convinces me that this is right or this is wrong, then that's what I go with. You know, I love uh, um, Pastor Mike Winger, um, his, yes. our, our interview that I did with him on what does the Bible say about alcohol? alcohol. He came right out the gate and said, in the beginning, I wanted it to be bad. I wanted <laughs> everybody drinking alcohol to be in sin. And I didn't want to see, you know, that there were extremes to this. And here's what the Bible was saying. And so yeah. when you do the study, you let the Bible convince you. Yes. So often we're going to the Bible with a preconceived idea and we're trying to um, justify or confirm what we already think. That's and so, so we're not in a position yeah. to allow God to speak into our life. I want, you know, and I use this analogy one time. I said, you know, if you said something and a person misquoted you, you would want to be able to go and say, that's not what I was saying. Right. Right. And so often God says things in his word, people misquote it, but they never allow God to say, that's not what I was saying. Here's what I was saying. Let's go back and find out what God was saying. And, And that goes back to, you know, really studying the scriptures. I mean, really studying, not just haphazardly pulling scriptures out and handing them out like prescriptions, like here, take two of these and call me in the morning. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, kind of to further your point, I don't know if it's a tangent, but I do think that there's not necessarily a, uh, a system set up that will benefit, I guess, a new believer into pushing them to study the scriptures, right? Like, the, the kind of American church system as we see it today is kind of like a, a scalable uh, corporation or business, right? So you got a pastor up front, you have a bunch of people, maybe they break out into small groups, maybe they don't. And there's not really an incentive or there's no, there's no real beginning. I mean, I'm not speaking for every church, but right, right, in right. general, you know, let's look at the example of these big mega churches. 
I mean, I've, I've been to a lot of them. A lot of them are here in my area. Um, or when I went to Texas, I went to a few as well. Um, there's not really like small groups. And if there are, they're very much just kind of rehashings of whatever the sermon was on Sunday. So you're yeah. never really getting like a theological deep dive of like, well, who was who was the book of Romans written by and what was he doing when he wrote it? And all, all of these kind of important nuances that you need to know in order to understand the context of the scripture. And, and, and you're right about that. Like you said, it's not true of every church. Right. We're, we don't want to, you know, uh, put everybody in the box. But at the end of the day, one of the things that, that I've done over the last couple of years is really try to equip the saints, you know, yes. really get them, you know, I, on my channel, I, a lot of times in, you know, my interviews or my teachings, I'm pulling out the strong concordance and people most, what's Love interesting it. to me is that, that there's so many Christians that don't know what a strong concordance is. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, right. you know, that was one of the early tools that I had when I first started studying scripture, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, yeah. The strongest concordance. Oh man. You know, yeah, that, that was the first, share. that was the first book that my pastor pulled out on me when he sat me down and he was like, you're going to start being a leader, but before you do, I need you to start reading through this. And he pulled that yeah. out and then he took my phone and bookmarked uh blue letter, blue letter Bible. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Same thing. I've done the same thing with, with, you know, uh, our people at our church, anybody who's a minister, you know, if you don't know your way around a strong concordance, you're not ready to teach. Yeah, hundred percent. You got to know what it, the original context is. You got to know what the writer meant when he used this word. You know, a lot of churches, you hear people using, you know, the Webster's Dictionary to define words in the Bible. <laughs> and yeah. That scares me because yeah. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. How do you know that that's they meant the same thing? Right. You know. Paul was speaking from a whole different era, whole different time. This right. word in our time has been manipulated to be what it, our words have 15 million different meanings. We can yeah. use the same word to mean all this stuff. You know, we need I'm to sure, go. I'm sure that Webster, uh, I'm sure that Webster's doesn't mean the same thing as the Bible does when it comes to the word bondservant or something like no, that. You know? <laughs> not at all. Even yeah. the term, I did a study on the term love. And this mm. is big politically today, um, is that the term love, agape or agapeo, yeah. you know, literally means um, to do what God prefers. That is really wow. the heart of love. True love is doing what God prefers. And so wow. when you love your neighbor, you're treating them the way that God prefers. When you, uh, <laughs> when, wow. when, you know, when the Bible says that, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. So what does that look like? Whereas I go to the Webster's Dictionary <laughs> and, and love is about uh, this feeling between people, whether romantic or familiar or th and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. That definition. Well, opposite love, sides. They, yeah. They, they <laughs> don't join together. They don't even overlap. Right. You know, when I say God is love, I mean that God determines what love is. And so yes. when I love my neighbor, as I love myself, I'm loving my neighbor as God prefers, as God's, according to God's will. That eliminates a lot of what we call love today. Yes, 100%. Yeah, because we've taken love to mean ex acceptance at all costs, essentially. Like, you're, I accept not only you, but everything that you do, you know, and that's, that's kind of become the new def definition of love.
And yeah, man, this yeah. is this is good, man. I, <laughs> I don't even know how we're gonna wrap this episode up, man. It's really good. Um, I think you had touched on um, just briefly, and I, I and I was thinking about this uh, when I was preparing to, to sit with you. Um, the celebrity, um, the celebrity images that we get from megachurch um, pastors and leaders, yes. and how that uh, how that influences uh, people politically because their celebrity image then. Um, is a platform, right, to right. influence people politically. And you talked about just briefly about the internet preachers and the big name. Uh, how do we as everyday believers stick to our guns as far as what the word says versus what these big name people are saying? Because their influence is strong, right? Oh, big time. Yeah, I that's a great question. I think, you know, I think one of the main things that we have to do is we have to not only train ourselves, but let's say the people that we disciple as well, we have to teach them to discern properly and contextually with, with biblical standards. Because one of the things I've noticed, especially like being in digital marketing in this kind of Instagram fast track world, is that it's not the people with the most precise message that becomes a celebrity pastor or a celebrity influencer is the person with the most charisma production value, you know, the most shock value, all of these other things that aren't necessarily biblical or they're not mutually exclusive, but they're not necessarily biblical. And right. so we have to be able to decipher like, okay, this person looks good. They sound good. They're talking well, they're making some good points. Are they sound believers? Are they teaching me what scripture says? I think a big part of that is A, discernment, and B, doing your own research and doing your own studying. This way you can line up, okay, well, the word says this, but this preacher is telling me that it says that. Um, hmm. So maybe this isn't the, the best person to be listening to on the regular. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do a lot of independent studies for my podcast and for my, you know, for my own benefit, as well as things that I teach for my church, because I believe as a pastor, I have to have my own walk with God and me and God yeah, yeah. <laughs> have to, you know, connect. And so there's stuff that I'm studying or that I'm learning that's for my relationship with God. And then I then later on release it or share it with other people or it comes up in a conversation, you know, and there's times where I'm listening to people who are considered scholars or experts mm -hmm. and I'll watch them take liberties with certain words. And I'll be and I'll have my strongs open to the word that they're yeah. talking about. I'm like, where did you get that definition? Because that's not the one that's there. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's super common. And I'm seeing <laughs> I'm seeing it more like there's this idea of like treating scripture as poetry to be interpreted. You right. know, and, and, and I just think that's really happening. That's why the first thing we spoke about was definitions, because you know, we, we've come to this place in society where things are, you know, it's this idea of postmodernism. Everything is a, is a suggestion. Nothing is objectively true or false, good or bad. And that's essentially leaking into the church in that format, right? It's this idea that you can take a scripture and say, well, I think it means this. And I think it means that. And sort of add your poetic, uh, poetic interpretation to it. And as long as it sounds good, looks good, feels good, then it'll be okay. And, and that's just, that's a very dangerous and slippery slope to go down. Yes, it is. I heard a quote and I haven't been able to narrow down where the quote came from. Um, as soon as I figure it out, because I've kind of researched it, I think it's anonymous. But the quote was that um, words don't have meaning, people do. 
And so often that has been true in my experience that people say a word, but what they mean <laughs> and what the <laughs> word may mean <laughs> right. is two different things. And Absolutely. you have to, again, exegete what, well, what do you mean when you say that? You that's know, part I of find- having a good conversation. You yes. know, like that's part of communicating effectively with people is saying, what do you mean by that? Because sometimes yeah. people are just taking, taking it for granted that you understand what, 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 what they, what, how am I, how am I saying this? Let me, <laughs> let me unjumble my words. People are taking it for granted that you understand them when you, when, when you're speaking to them, but that's not always the case. Right. And, and, and that, you know, from my background of pastoring um, and doing counseling, one of the big things that I had to learn was to ask people, so what is it that you are saying or what yeah. do you mean when That's you say that? And so not true. to assume that we mean the same thing, because very likely, <laughs> more often than not, you're saying something different with that same word. And yeah. so uh, in the po- political realm, like you said, it goes back to what we we started with. This idea of definitions is that, man, let's slow down and have a conversation because sometimes you're saying something and you're passionate about it. And and that that can overwhelm a person. Somebody's passion about how they're saying it or what they're saying sometimes will make you back down and not want to you know dig any deeper because I'm like, well, I don't want to mess with that because they're <laughs> very passionate about it. But yeah. At the same time, if you stop and say, well, please explain to me what you mean. Now you're having a conversation and you're not just shooting ideas at each other and whoever's idea wins. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and that I is, think that's, the, that's the drawback. Sorry. That's the drawback to the social media age is that time. it's a battle of ideas and concepts just being thrown out there with no conversation. Yeah, we yeah, we've de-escalated from conversation and kind of devolved into just head-on debate all the time and like witty witty exchanges of like who can be the most I guess offensive, you know, and and that's that's right. definitely <laughs> been the result of this social media culture because that's what it's Twitter like, is. <laughs> it's like um, you know, I grew up, you know, um in 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 um West Philadelphia um and in those days we had rap battles. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so exactly. Rap battle is Whoever says the coolest stuff and gets everybody to go, ooh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> At least then you have the bragging like... rights and respect, you know? At least then <laughs> the other person, you guys shook hands after and then it was fine. But yeah, nowadays it's just like it just keeps escalating. Yeah. And, and people keep, you know, uh, attacking somebody or attacking this person. And people you've never even met, you never had a conversation with, but you have all these negative things to say about them because it's going to get you plays. It's going to get you views. Yeah. It's going to get you downloads. Yeah. And so that's going to be my, that's going to be where I'm going to end this. I'm going to ask you this. How do you not fall into the trap <laughs> of <laughs> the, the plays and the downloads, just soundbiting, just putting stuff out there to get people to give you that 30,000 plays. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> That's one I've been trying to deal with myself. Uh, what's kind of worked for me is uh, deciding upfront before 
Like, before anything, what is my line going to be? What am I not going to do in order to get plays? This is where I want, this is the line I won't cross. And I think setting that, that moral standard for yourself, myself setting it on, on biblical principles, I'm not going to bash anyone. I'm not going to be cursing, you know, like stuff like that. I think setting those things ahead of time will help you down the road when you're about to shoot out some crazy tweet and you're like, huh, is this in accordance with what I promised myself or what I promised to God that I wouldn't post? Um, and I think just having that guardrail can keep you, it can save you a lot of trouble. You know, other, other than that, it's just really going to come down to how hard are you willing to work to make quality content that is quote unquote evergreen, which means it, it's not with the news cycle or anything. How hard are you going to work towards that? So that regardless of when, who's watching or when, you'll be able to keep them as an audience member. Right. And, and I think that's huge because at the end of the day, that's what we want as influencers. We, we want the views. We want the plays. We want the downloads. Right. But have we kept our motive and said, you know what? I still want to be speaking the truth. I still want to represent my faith. I still want to be clear to who I am and, and what I'm about instead Absolutely. of it to get you to listen to my podcast or watch my YouTube channel. So, um, <laughs> Angel, uh, man, this has been awesome. Um, if you could do me one last favor, if of you course. could pray for my listeners um, to just uh, be able to make that balance, to be able to understand how to function in a world where politics and Christianity don't always blend, but they always intersect. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You want me to do a little prayer right now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Awesome. Father God, I, I come humbly before you, Lord, and I just pray for the Love Thy Neighbor audience, Lord. Whoever is listening right now, I ask that you would give them discernment, Lord, that you would help them walk in the path that you have set before them and just ask them to, um, or I ask you to help them to continue to see what is true and what is good and what is right, to focus on heavenly things and not focus on the new cycle and the media and all of these things that, that could be distracting us from pursuing you and pursuing your love, Father. So I do this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Uh, thank you for listening to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. Remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, you can support Love Thy Neighbor at uh, anchor.fm slash anthony-wilson slash support. Join our team. Help us to continue to do this ministry uh, all across the world in different people's living rooms and cars. We just want to keep bringing this great information to everyone out there. God bless you. Uh, till next time.